Anthropologists tell us that man is universally religious. I'm sure you guys all know this well. In every culture, every place, every time in history, man has worshipped. Ancient Egyptians worshipped, among other things, and I know it's hard to believe, the dung beetle. Ancient Greeks and Romans inexplicably worshipped the fly. You know that Buddhists venerate Buddha. Hindus have 330 million gods, give or take. Shintoism, they venerate their ancestors. Islam worships Allah, who is a remote, distant, and unknowable deity. The naturalist worships natural selection and random variation. The hedonist worships pleasure. The humanist worships himself. And Satanist worships Satan. Man is a worshiper. He always has been. He always has been. But I want to say to you tonight that no man or woman on the earth can worship like a Christian. Nobody can worship like a Christian. I'm not talking about the brain-dead, heart-dead kind of Christianity. I'm talking about born-again Christianity. Nobody can worship like we do. Even the angels can't worship like us. You know this, right? I mean, they're, they're worship machines. This is what they do. They worship the Lord, but they can't worship like us. They really, in, in one sense, they can't even get close in worshiping like us. You remember the great text, Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. We see the angels there. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. One of my favorite passages is Revelation chapter 4. We see the, the creatures there day and night. They do not cease to say, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They are perfect worship machines, but they cannot worship like we do. Our worship contains a component that theirs never has and never will. Do you know what that might be? Anyone? Pardon me? We've been forgiven. They've never been forgiven. They don't know what it's like to be guilty and then to not be guilty anymore. We know what that's like. It's an awesome thing. So it gives us license to worship in a way that they cannot. We understand grace. We know what it feels like. Angels never can. We were something that the angels never were. We were the enemies of God. Right? We were the enemies of God if we believe Romans chapter 5, if we believe what the Apostle Paul was saying there. How does it go? Romans 5.10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How did that happen? Did it happen by mediation or arbitration or diplomacy or negotiation or petition? How did it happen that we're no longer enemies? How did that happen? Did we go looking for God? What happened? He came for us, didn't He? It's an awesome, <laughs> it's an awesome story. I don't know why there aren't 10,000 people trying to get in here to hear about Jesus. I understand it theologically, but 
Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We were enemies, as one theologian said, rebels with weapons in our hands. We were guilty of a capital offense. We'd earned our wages. What is the wages of sin? Death. We had earned our wages. We deserved death. Eternal death, condemnation, damnation, and hell. We deserved it. But in Christ, we won't get any of that. In Christ, we have been made clean. Angels can't worship like us. Nobody can worship like us. We were once enemies of God. And now we're sons and daughters. We deserved... God's wrath. But you know the great text, Ephesians chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy and great in love has made us alive together with Christ. He has lavished the riches of grace upon us. He has chosen gladly to give us His kingdom. Although we were the enemies of God, He has chosen freely to give us all things. Beloved, how can you not worship this God? How can you not worship Him with, by, with every fiber of your being every day? You deserved hell. But you're a son of the King. A daughter of the King. <laughs> it's a worship-provoking thought, I believe. So this evening I want to look at two women who kind of flesh out this reality for us. Two women who flesh out this reality. We've spent the last several weeks in 1 John examining what a real Christian looks like. A real Christian looks like someone who believes God, loves God, worships God, honors God. And as we've talked about over and over again, principally as they love and serve the body of Christ. It looks like forgiven sinners hopelessly in love with an awesome Redeemer. So these two women we're going to look at tonight, first in Luke chapter 7, then we're going to turn over to Mark 14 just for a few minutes. So we're going to look at these two women and take a look at what uh, worship looks like. You know the formula, right? Biblical theology gives rise to doxology. Now biblical theology is just learning God correctly, learning what the Bible says about God gives rise to doxology, which just simply means to, uh, it gives rise to praise. It gives, it gives rise to, to adoration and, and worship. That's what doxology means. Which gives rise to a 1 John kind of life. It gives rise to a Hebrews 11 kind of life. We cannot not worship this great God with all of our lives, as the song said. With all of our lives, every aspect of our lives. You know, we don't segment our life and we have our religious part and we have our secular part. That's not Christianity. It's all His part, right? It all belongs to the Lord, I think, as we also say. It's not about us. It's all about Him. We get that. We understand that. Someone said, there are at least two great moments in your life. One is when you're born. And the other is when you come to understand why you were born. Christians understand why they were born. It was, it's not about 
you know, growing up and getting a good job and making lots of money and buying lots of stuff. Some of us may do those things. I hope we don't buy too much stuff. I hope we're you know, open-handed with the kingdom of God. I hope we're investing in the kingdom of God than, uh, more than we are in stuff. I hope that that's what we're about. But we know why, we're, why we've been left here. We know to be disciples, to be a witness, to glorify the Lord. That's it. Everything else is subordinated to that. So let me just stop and ask, is that how you live? Is that the signature of your life? First point I want to make tonight from Luke chapter 7 is that authentic worship, born-again worship, it begins by knowing who you are. This woman, you heard me read the text. This woman, she knows who she is. This knowledge is more important than anything else. You have to know. You must know. You're a sinner. It doesn't matter what the world tells you, what the media tells you, or what pseudo-Christianity tells you, or any other religion tells you. God says you're a sinner. She knows it. She's an eminent theologian. This Pharisee in the text, he's apparently not aware that he is a great sinner as he sits in the very presence of God Himself. But this woman knows. She knows what everyone needs to know. We are sinners. You saw there in the text that she was... What verse is it? The woman in the city, verse 37, who was a sinner. This is New Testament code for she was a prostitute. This woman was a prostitute. And she knows she's a sinner. She's learned what Isaiah had learned standing in the very presence of God. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. Literally, Isaiah is saying, I'm undone. I'm unraveled. I'm exposed. God has seen all of my sin. She understands what Peter says. You remember Peter said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. She gets this. She understands this about herself. She understands what Isaiah has said and what Peter knew. She's not just a little bit lost. She is irretrievably lost apart from Jesus Christ, beloved. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does in every man and woman's life. But she'd heard about this man. She'd heard about this man. His name is Jesus. And He says stuff like this. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, I I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. Jesus says stuff like, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. She knows she's sick. She knows she's a sinner. She knows she's lost. She knows these things. She has come urgently and desperately needing a Savior. The second point I want to make, authentic worship, born-again worship, flows from what we see in the text. It flows from a broken heart, a contrite heart, a humble heart, a thankful heart. 
That's what we see in this great text. You guys know the great, the great Psalm, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, Thou will not despise. So look at the text. Look at the brokenness and contrition flowing from this woman. She'd been justly condemned, but now she has been graciously forgiven. Verse 38 again. She's standing behind Jesus. Jesus is reclining at the table and His feet are behind Him. And she's standing there behind Him, wetting His feet. She's weeping and she begins to wet His feet with her tears. And she keeps wiping them with, with, with the hair of her head and kissing His feet and anointing them at, uh, with perfume. I like the, in the original language, you can see it better. The, the, the Greek is indicating that she is just raining down tears on God. She's been forgiven. Her, her sin, which was horrible before God, she's been forgiven. You can tell that she's already received the grace of God. You can tell from verse 47 and verse 48. You can see it in the tenses there. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. It's the perfect tense. It ha- they have been forgiven. It happened in the past with continuing effect. She's been saved by Jesus. She's placed her faith in Him. And she's got to worship Him. Isn't that how it is with you? Of course it is. That's why you're here. You have to worship this great God. You have to. You, you cannot not worship Him. She could not not worship Him. She's standing there. And all this emotion, this emotional dam is broken and it's just coming out and she's raining these tears down. And these tears are raining down. It's enough water to wash His feet. She is in awe of what this great God has done for her. It's, I can't believe you, God! I can't believe you came for me! I can't believe you saved me! I can't believe you've loved me like this! Isn't that how it is with you and Jesus? You've not understood the Gospel if that's not how it is with you and Jesus. That's how it is. It's unbelievable what God God has done. This woman's a prostitute. But God loves her. God loves her. She'd sold her body to men for money. She was an outcast. She was untouchable. She was unlovable. She was immoral. She was perverse. She was an adulteress. She had trampled the law of God. She knows under the law of God that she deserves to be stoned. This woman had no idea what real joy felt like anymore. This woman had no idea what self-respect was like. She'd forgotten what genuine intimacy was like. She'd forgotten what tenderness was like. No man would ever love her. No man would ever want her. She would never have a groom. But that's not true, is it? She would have all those things in Christ Jesus. This is why she weeps. She's not only not only has a man come for her, the God man has come for her. The God man has come for her. He will be her groom. He has loved her. He has set His heart on her in eternity past. He will die for her. 
She understands all this. And she, she stands in His presence and she just weeps. Beloved, do you feel the import and the weight of what Jesus Christ has done in your behalf? I love this text. I, always, I could preach this text every Sunday. <laughs> I love this text. Do you understand how she feels? And though her sins were many, she is forgiven. Them all. They're all forgiven. Every last one has been forgiven. You remember what Paul said? Every time I think about this text, I always think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul says, For I betrothed you, he's talking to the church, to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as what? Does anyone remember? A pure virgin. This woman was a harlot. But in Christ, she's a virgin. She's a chaste virgin bride to her groom. Do you understand? You're, you're a spiritual harlot. I'm a spiritual harlot. Every man is. Every woman is. But in Christ, we're chaste virgin bride to our King. Beloved, this is. I had to preach this text after 1 John. This is what fuels a life like 1 John. We talked a lot about it. What Christianity is supposed to look like. This is what fuels that kind of life. This is what fuels the life of Hebrews 11. This risk-taking faith. This, this faith that I love Jesus so much, it doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter how risky it is. It doesn't matter how much I'll be made fun of. It doesn't matter who turns their back on me. It doesn't matter who you know, ends the relationship. I'm going to believe the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to proclaim the Lord. And it's all fueled by this. It's all fueled from understanding this. From understanding what that prostitute understood. That God came for her. He shouldn't have, but He did. Beloved, this should fuel our life of faith. That's the reason I had to preach this text after 1 John. <laughs> you say, how do you do 1 John? Like this. You get converted. You come to Christ with all your heart, not just with the religious part. With all your heart, you fall in love with Him. You realize you're a spiritual harlot. But now you've been made a son or a daughter of the King. And I promise you, 1 John's easy after that. <laughs> Hebrews 11 is easy after that. It just flows out of your worship. It just flows out of your thankful, thankful heart. She is awestruck by this love. She is awestruck. And though it was inconceivable and impossible and unthinkable and unimaginable, she is now a chaste virgin bride in Jesus Christ. She could have written Amazing Grace, could you? Of course you could. If you're a Christian tonight, you could have written it. It resonates so well. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Yes? How sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We get that. We could all have written that song. All of us who know Christ, we could have indeed written that song. All her sin, all her guilt, it's God. And so is yours. <laughs> so is yours, beloved, if you're in Christ tonight. It's gone. We know those 
awesome metaphors that Jesus, or pardon me, that the Lord uses in the Old Testament. Yeah, we're guilty sinners, but God says, I've removed it from you as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103. God says, I have cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7. God says, I have cast your sins behind my back. Isaiah 38. God says, I have wiped out your transgressions. Isaiah 43. God says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Isaiah chapter 1. This is why Christians worship. And this is why no one can worship like us. (laughs) We were guilty. We know we should just go to hell. But we won't. Because this awesome God has set His heart on us. This awesome God has loved us in the most astonishing way. That's how genuine worship is conceived and birthed in our souls. It's seeing that we were hopelessly condemned before a holy God. And then, inexplicably, coming to understand that this holy God has shed His own blood to redeem us. It is astonishing, is it not? If you're not astonished, if you're not shocked, if you're not stunned, if it's not outrageous to you, I don't think you're understanding it or hearing it or believing it. And I think there are many people in the church, it's just old business. It doesn't really affect the way they live on a daily basis. Beloved, that's blasphemous. It's blasphemous that it would not affect the way we live every day. That I should be on my way to hell, but I'm not. God has saved me in the most remarkable way. I'm on my way to heaven. How can that not inform every single day of your life? How can it not? God means for it to. God means for it to, beloved. What is the reasonable response to such a God? I give my life, my heart, my soul, my mind, and my body to this God. There is no other response that is reasonable. I give Him all of me. Even as He has given Himself to me, I give myself away to Him. This is the only reasonable response. And it is the fuel. That is the fuel that will fuel a First John kind of life. A life of believing God, loving God, obeying God, and loving and serving the body of Christ. That's the only, that's the only way that this kind, of, this kind of obedience can be fueled. You know, you can't just whip it up in, in the flesh. After about three weeks, you're tired. You've got to be looking at God in awe of God, worshiping God, thanking God, you know, amazed that in Jesus you're a chaste virgin bride. If you're not amazed, you've not understood it. If you're not in awe, you've not understood it. And I don't think you've believed it. This woman is raining tears. She is full of joy. She was guilty, but no more. (laughs) It's, It's awesome. Now this Pharisee sitting here, he was quite the religious religious man. 
He'd probably been to the synagogue that day. He'd probably spent half the morning, you know, dividing off 10% of his mint and dill and cumin. He'd probably engaged in the prescribed ceremonial washings. He checked all of his religious boxes that day, but who worshipped that day, beloved? Who worshipped? This is worship. What we see in the life of this forgiven prostitute, she worshipped. The Pharisee gave Jesus no water, but she gave him her tears. He gave no towel to Jesus, but she used her hair. He gave no kiss, which was all of these things were customary for a visitor in your house. He did none of these things. He gave no kiss, but she could not stop kissing his feet. The Pharisee gave no oil, but she brought expensive perfume. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a perfect analogy between dead religion and loving Jesus. And we understand that much of the Christian church is apostate. We understand that. They say they give lip service to the Bible and they say religious things, spiritual things. It's a perfect, perfect analogy between pseudo-Christianity and the real thing, really loving Jesus Christ. Only guilty sinners who understand how much they've been forgiven know how to worship in a way that is pleasing to God. Religious men, self-righteous men, self-satisfied men simply cannot worship in a way that pleases God. This prostitute, she understood what David wrote in Psalm 51.4, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. She understood what Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. She understands. Why did she love much? She's been forgiven much. Why do born-again Christians love much? Why do they pour their lives out for this great God? We've been forgiven much. In fact, we've been forgiven everything. Of course we worship Him in this way. The born-again Christian understands that His unpayable debt has been paid by Christ. It has been paid. You know, a debt has to be assumed. It's like the parable here. Somebody, somebody bears the cost of it. It doesn't just evaporate. Somebody bears the cost. Jesus Christ has borne the cost. He has paid my debt. <clears throat> you guys know the parable, Matthew 18. The guy owed like 10,000 talents or something. It was like 6 million days wages. It was unpayable. That's the picture here. It was unpayable. But Christ paid my debt. The Pharisee could do religion, but he didn't know anything about loving God. He didn't know anything about worshiping the Lord. And beloved, when you get some sense of your guilt before God like this woman has, and you get some sense of what Jesus has done in your behalf, you will worship like her. You will worship like 
her. You will cry out from the depth of your soul. What an awesome God. What an awesome God. I want to make a quick point. Don't get confused here. Her sins are not forgiven because she loves much. She loves much because her sins are forgiven. That's the point of the parable. In fact, you can see in verse 50, Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Third point I want to make, we're going to turn over to Mark 14 real quick. Mark 14. Authentic worship is an irrepressible treasuring of God above all. Let me give you John Piper a definition that I saw that Piper gave on worship. I like it. It's the inner treasuring of God as the highest value in the universe from which proceeds acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. Does that describe your worship? <clears throat> Let me read it again. The worship is the inner treasuring of God as the highest value in the universe from which proceed acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. <clears throat> if it's real on the inside, it will always spill out on the outside. The inward treasuring will always become outward treasuring. That's what we're seeing in this prostitute's life. It's real and it spills out. She can't hold it in. It spills out. That's how Christianity is. It spills out in the life. You can't hold it in if you want to. It spills out in the life. And that's what we see in Mark 14. You guys, you guys will be familiar with this text. And I just want to make four brief points regarding authentic worship from Mark 14. Let me just read the text real quick. Mark 14, chapter, yeah, chapter 14, verse 3. And while he, this is Jesus, was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to, to, to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. Verse 6, But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the Gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken in memory of her. I want to make just a few quick points about what we see here. Her worship was unrestrained. Would that describe your worship? Her worship was unrestrained. She broke the vial. She, she wasn't holding anything back. She didn't have any reserve when it came to Jesus Christ. She held no reserves when it came to Jesus Christ. She broke the vial. Her worship was lavish. It was wholehearted. It was ardent. She broke the vial. And John tells us, the Gospel of John, this, this account is also recorded in Matthew and John. She not only anointed His head, but His feet as well and wiped them with her hair. Now, some people get these two accounts confused. These are two different times, two different places different sets of people. So don't get the Luke 7 and the, 
and the Matthew 14 accounts confused. This is, these are different accounts. But she broke the vial. She's all in. She's all in with Christ. She's not going to hold anything back, right? That's how it is. That's how it is for us. How could it be any other if we've really understood what He's done in our behalf? How could it be any otherwise if we've really understood? John writes, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, the sweet aroma, I would contend, of a sinner loving her God. It's an awesome thing. second thing I want to point out is her worship was extravagant. It was extravagant. These verses tell us that this, this perfume, it was worth a, a year's wages, 300 denarii, about, about a year's wages for a common laborer. So let's just bring it into our context. Let's just say, I have no idea if this is right, but let's say a common laborer gets 10 euros an hour. Let's just say that. I don't know if that's right or not. It may be, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's an illustration. 20,000 euros. Boom. She just poured out 20,000 euros. Have you ever worshipped like that? And it doesn't have to be money. But have you ever worshipped in an extravagant way like that? She just poured out 20,000 euros. And the disciples were indignant. Why this waste? Waste! Who is sitting there? Who is sitting there? The disciples have already made their confession. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. Waste! It's never waste, beloved. You worship God as extravagantly as you dare. It is never waste. And did you see the, the, Lord's, did you see the Lord's response? He loves it. <laughs> he didn't say, oh, you should be more prudent. He loved it. He loved it that she loved Him and showed it to this great degree. Her, her Messiah set before her, budgeting, calculating, economizing. It was not in her mind. It was not in her mind. It never is when we're talking about true, unvarnished worship. I, I read one theologian, he said, in true worship, calculation vanishes. Don't you love that? Calculation will vanish as we enter into true worship. So what do you think? Was Mary imprudent? Or was it the best use of 20,000 euros that she could possibly come up with? I think it was the best use she could possibly come up with. You know, I looked up these words. Imprudent is defined as extravagant, wasteful, excessive, overgenerous. It's my contention you could never be imprudent in extravagant worship of Jesus Christ. In my opinion, that would be the quintessential oxymoron to say that you could be extravagant in your worship of Jesus Christ, the God-man. I looked at the word prudent. It says to, be, to, to have discretion, to have foresight, to, to use judgment and care and frugality. That's what she did in a transcendent sense, I'll tell you. In a transcendent sense, she's tra in a transcendent sense, she's frugal. She's using discretion. She's using care. She's worshiping her great God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, plus four hundred plus billion galaxies in the cosmos. Twenty thousand euros is nothing 
to this great God. Of course she's going to pour it out. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Man, you know, when you know who your God is, yeah, she's free. She's free to worship like this. The third thing I want to say, her worship was now. Do you notice? She, she seized the day. Carpe diem. She did it now. I've often wondered when I studied this text, I've often wondered how many of the disciples were thinking, man, I wish I'd done what Mary did. But it was too late then. He was dead. He was gone. I know, I know that some of them had to be thinking, man, I wish I'd have done what she did. Beloved, there's a point here for us. You need to worship Him today. You need to worship Him today. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow to be extravagant with your great God. You need to worship Him today. Now is like holding water in your hand. You can't do it. <laughs> and you may not have tomorrow. You better worship today. Fourthly, her worship was eternal. It rippled through eternity. I love what Jesus says here. He says this, this worship, I will never forget it. And He says, nobody else will either. Don't you love that? I'll never let anyone forget this. And beloved, no matter how small your worship is to God, He never forgets. He never forgets. It ripples eternity. I love this. I, I meditate on this. It ripples eternity. And God doesn't forget. God never forgets. You know what Jesus said? Even if you give one of, my, one of my brethren even a cup of water, I'll never forget it. You'll never lose your reward. This is what is great. God says to us, so what do you think? Was it a waste or was it the best use of 20,000 euros? Do you think Mary ever wished, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. How many of you think she wished she wishes she'd never done it? I wish I'd have never worshipped God extravagantly like that. I sure wish I had that perfume back. I wish I no, I don't think she ever thought that. She could never think that, or she would have never done it to begin with. She knew who he was. She knew what he was worth. I often think, I wonder what she thinks now. Have you ever thought you ever think like this? I wonder what Mary's thinking now. <laughs> She's thinking, man, I wish I'd have done more. I wish, I would have, I wish I'd have loved Him more. I wish it had been more powerful in my life. I wish it had been more palpable in my life. I wish I'd have loved Him to a greater degree. Beloved, I know if there's any regret in heaven, it'll be that. Why didn't I really love Him and honor Him in the most extravagant way. I had, well, I, why didn't I seize the day? Why didn't I seize the day? So let me ask you, have you learned to worship like this prostitute? Have you learned to worship like Mary? I, it's my contention that this is the only reasonable response to Jesus Christ. We were blind, but now we see. We were guilty, but now we're clean. We were lost, 
but now we're found. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were sinners, but now we're sons and daughters of the King. We were enemies, but now we are co-heirs. How can you not worship? How can you not worship extravagantly, beloved? How can you not? How can you not? The born-again soul understands we were reborn for this. For worship. Worship expressed in our obedience in the world and worship expressed in our loving and serving the body. Just one more question. How could you ever be lukewarm? If you've really understood who you were, and now you really understand who you are in Christ, how could you ever be lukewarm? Shame on us if we're ever lukewarm. How could that ever be true? When we consider who we were and who we are, we were hopelessly guilty spiritual harlots. And now we are chaste, virgin brides. It's astonishing to me. Is it, you know, it's astonishing to me. It's outrageous. <laughs> it's outrageous that our God would love us like this. So I want to say to you, I want to say to you, there's only one reasonable response to, to this great God, this great gospel and this awesome good news, and that is you give yourself away to Him. You give yourself away to Him. Maybe in a new way as you leave tonight. Maybe you give yourself away to Him in a brand new way. Something, you, something that you've always been afraid to do. Something you've, you've, you've kind of hung back. You've been a little afraid. Hey, I say go for it. I say seize the day. Seize the day. And here's what I know is true. <laughs> hey, if you're genuinely seeking to, to honor the Lord and worship the Lord, you can't mess up. <laughs> you can't mess up. And God will never forget it. And He won't let anyone else forget it either. I pray we understand what God has done. I pray it fuels our doxology and I pray that it fuels a 1 John kind of life, a Hebrews 11 kind of life, a life of simply giving ourselves away to this God who gave Himself away to us. Let's pray together. Lord, it's amazing. It is amazing. It's outrageous. It's a, an astonishing thing, a stunning thing, a shocking thing. How You have loved and saved Your people. Lord, forgive us that we don't meditate deeply and think deeply about this in such a way that it changes the way we live every single day when we get up. Forgive us, Lord, that we don't always seize the day to be extravagant in our worship, to be uninhibited in our worship, to worship You in a way that ripples all eternity, a way that delights You. 
Forgive us, Lord, that many times we're so calculating about how we're going to worship You and how, how much we're willing to how, how much cost we're willing to assume. Forgive us, Lord, that we think like this. We know this is not pleasing. Lord, I pray You'd free us up. I pray, I pray that You'd free up our hearts, that we would, we would be able to, to genuinely worship like this prostitute, that we would worship like Mary, that we would have no reserves when it comes with Jesus Christ, when it comes to Him. Oh Lord, we have but a few moments on the planet. We understand. You have warned us. We have just moments on the planet. So Lord, I pray, help us to, to seize the day every day to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. I thank You for this great text. I thank You for the great truth of it. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He has reconciled us to Himself. We thank You, great God. We give all praise and glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.